0: When Solomon died in 930 B.C., the kingdom appeared to be in good shape outwardly. Yet because of the idolatry introduced in his last days, the seeds of kingdom disintegration had already been sown. Even so, the speed with which the glorious kingdom shattered and the devastating spiritual, political, and economic consequences of that event are somewhat shocking and certainly sad. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, was 41 at the time that his father dies. His succession to the throne does not seem to have been questioned in Judah, but the northern tribes, however, insisted on their right to ratify the coronation of the new king, and all Israel, meaning the northern tribes, assembled at Shechem, the most important city in Ephraim. They had concrete plans of rebe- they did not have concrete plans of rebellion at this time. But they're going to come before the king and they're going to cast out various demands and see exactly what Rehoboam was going to say. Now I'm jumping ahead in our narrative just a little bit, but you remember that Rehoboam tells them to go away for three days and he's going to think about it in order to come and respond as he wants to or as he chooses to do so. The question that's before us, and this is really briefly now, concerning the reign of King Solomon. What is it that makes the wisest man in the world turn his heart away from following God? Now think about it like this too. Do you remember when we studied the life of David? All of those chapters, many chapters in the Bible. In fact, I'm told that over 60 chapters in the Bible are devoted to the life of King David. So we learned a whole lot about King David in a, year, in, in a lifespan of only 70 years. One thing about King David was King David must have been tempted every day of his life because of the violence in the land. You remember, as a young man, he stood against and fought against the Philistine giant. David lived in a time of war. David also lived in a time when he knew that he was going to be God's anointed and he would replace King Saul on the throne. He knew that King Saul wanted him dead and he fled from King Saul because he knew in his heart it would be wrong to fight against or strike out against the anointed of God even though God had rejected Saul and his reign. Now David lived in a time of war, a time of restlessness and Solomon reigned in a time of peace. Not only that, Solomon was given the things that he asked for. Solomon asked for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom, supernatural wisdom. You remember that God says to him, he says in chapter 3 of 1 Kings, this is one of the two times that the Lord, through a dream, appears directly to King Solomon. He does so indirectly, including the indirect times, either through a prophet or an angel. He appears before him four total times, two indirectly and two very directly. And you remember when he asked him what it is that you want from me? He says, I want to have the wisdom and the knowledge and the proper heart that I might better serve the people of God. God says, because you didn't ask for wealth, I'm giving it to you. Because you didn't ask for honor, I'm giving you that too. And there was a condition upon one more promise. And that was, if you serve me all the days of your life, if your heart does not turn from me, If you follow me with all your heart, and there's that description there, this happens over and over again. If you serve me with all your heart, like who? Like your father David did, I will increase your days. That was a conditional promise to King Solomon. Do you remember back in the book of Deuteronomy what the Bible says concerning a king? There were three things that a king was not to do. He was not to use his position of being a king. And remember this too. God already said, I'm going to bless you with riches. You're going to be the richest man around. But one of the things that a king was not to do was to increase wealth unto himself using the position of being a king. He was not to increase horses unto himself using his position of being a king. And the third thing, he was not to increase wives because of his position of being a king. And the Bible says Solomon does not listen to that solomon uses his position of being a king and he goes out into all the other kingdoms and he gets women from other kingdoms that worship idol gods and false gods and he had 700 wives and 300 concubines which were secondary wives and you know of all those thousand women there's not one passage that indicates that he ever chose a woman from god's people not once he didn't choose one woman Among God's people, you remember what God said about that? He says, don't do it. Because if you do, they're going to turn your heart away from following me. I'll tell you something, folks. I don't care if he was the wisest man in the world. You make that choice and every single day you are faced. You you bring on all of these women from all these kingdoms, these prominent women and so forth. These princesses, the Bible says, 700 of them, increasing his renown. And the Bible says when Solomon had an opportunity to do that which is right and serve God with all of his heart, the Bible says these women, these wives, turned his heart from following God. You know what's amazing to me? It's amazing to me when we studied about David. David commits a horrible sin, and then he tries to cover it up, and he's guilty of murder. He's guilty of all manner of things. He sins. He sins with a terrible consequence, and after he is dead, the Bible still pictures God speaking of him as one that followed me with all his heart, That tells me that a person can make a mistake and still follow God with all of his heart. That was different than Solomon. We find that Solomon's heart was turned and his heart was changed. Well, God had enough. Chapter 11, beginning verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from following the Lord God of Israel which had appeared unto him twice. He commands him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods and be kept and keep that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore, the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this thing is done of thee, and you have not kept my covenant, you have not kept my statutes which I have commanded thee, I am going to rend the kingdom from you. I am going to take it away. And the Bible says, And I'm going to give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding in the days, I will not do it in the day, uh, in, in your day for your father David's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake which I have chosen. Notice, he says, because you have disobeyed me, I'm going to divide the kingdom. I'm going to, I'm going to rend the kingdom. But he says... I'm not going to do it in your lifetime, for whose sake? You know, this is kind of a picture of what David does for Jonathan. He extends kindness to Mephibosheth, not for Mephibosheth's sake or because of his goodness, but for Jonathan's sake. In like manner, the Bible says God forgives us, not for our sake. But for the one that was righteous, who was that? Jesus Christ. So God forgives us our sins for Christ's sake. And so God says, I'm going to rend the kingdom, but I'm not going to do it in your lifetime. It'll be in the lifetime of your son that I will divide it. And I'm going to do it for, God, for David's sake and for, the Bible says, Jerusalem's sake. And so here we have it, that this is, uh, that Jeroboam is going to be the king of the northern tribes. And you can imagine how it would be for Solomon, being the king, when he finds this out, the only thing he feels in his heart is, i got to kill him. And so he sets out to kill Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now you know what's interesting is, the Bible says that Jeroboam goes to Egypt and he's in hiding. Now, you remember just a moment ago when I said David never retaliated against King Saul because he knew that would be wrong to retaliate or strike out against the anointed of God. I don't know if at this particular time Jeroboam's heart was still good and respected God. I don't know. I don't know at this time if he flees into Egypt not to stand against Solomon because he knew that Solomon was God's anointed or whether he was just afraid. I don't know. But the Bible says he goes to Egypt and he stays in Egypt until Solomon dies. You remember when I mentioned a moment ago in our introduction. When I said the third thing that God promised Solomon was a conditional promise. There was a conditional promise to Solomon. And that was, I'm going to lengthen your days if you never depart from me. If you serve me with all of your heart. You know, when David died at the age of 70, you know, back in Bible times, that's not a very long life. You know, three score and 10 today is what the Bible teaches and so forth. And, And some get more by reason of strength and some get less, but on the average and so forth. But you're talking about in Bible days when there were those individuals that lived for quite some time further than 70 years. And the Bible pictures David at 70 as a decrepit old man. So when God says that I'm going to increase your days, Solomon, son of David, when I'm going to increase your days, you would imagine, I don't know, 80, 90, 100? Solomon died at the age of 60. When God gives a promise that's conditional upon his condition and conditional upon his precept, if you do not keep the condition, you will not get the promise. If there's ever a picture in the Bible of how that works for you and I today, that's a great example. If you want the promises of God that are conditional promises, if we want a home in heaven, that's a condition. On what? Serving God all the days of our life. If we don't, we don't get the promise. King Solomon, the wisest man in the world, learned that firsthand. And so Solomon now is dead. In verse 43 of of that chapter, Actually, let's read 42 and 43. This sums up his reign. And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel, this is Judah and Israel before the divided kingdom, all Israel, were come the sheik, uh, uh, all Israel was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his stead. Now... Rehoboam goes to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And the Bible says that the people come before Rehoboam, and Jeroboam is summoned in Egypt. Solomon now is dead, so Jeroboam is summoned from Egypt to come, and I kind of picture him to be sort of like the spokesman on the matter. And all the people are standing there, and here comes what seems to be a very reasonable request. The people come to him, and the people say, If you will lighten the burden, and you will lighten the heavy yoke that your father Solomon placed on us, we're going to follow you, and we're going to serve you all the days of your life. Now let's back up a little bit historically. You remember the 20 years of the building projects? of King Solomon. You know, during the time of the building projects, you can't build anything. Anybody that's in construction knows this. You can't build anything if you don't have labor. And so there was much forced labor back then too. There was a heavy yoke and a heavy burden placed upon the people of God at that time during the time of the reign of King Solomon. But now... The building projects are over with. So quite quite reasonable. Now they can come to to Rehoboam and say, look, it's over now. The building projects are done. If you just lighten up a little bit, we're going to serve you all the days of our life. You know, no doubt he's talking about lightening the tax burden too. Lightening the burden of taxation that was placed on the people by his father, Solomon. Now, they said this though. They said, if you will will lighten the load, we will serve you. Now, you remember that Rehoboam says, and it seems like Rehoboam is doing his very first thing, his very first decision as king. It seems as though that he is is doing the right things, that he is using wisdom. He wasn't going to just come out and just uh, give an answer right then and there. He knew he had to think about it for a little while. So he tells the people, go away for three days, and I'm going to make the decision before you get back. What does Solomon do? Solomon speaks to the older men, men that no doubt he respected over the years that his father reigned as king over all Israel, being Solomon. No doubt these were men that he has known for his entire life as older, wiser men. And he comes to hit them and he says, what is it that you think I ought to do? Now, what's interesting is I just made a phrase, said a phrase there, and it's very significant. He says to the older, what do you think that I ought to do? That's the first thing. More on that in just a second. They said, well, I'll tell you, if you just lighten the load, if you lighten up a little bit, and when in the King James Version, I didn't read other translations, but in the King James Version, when it says that uh, if you will serve the people, It's not meaning that a king actually serves the people. Because a king doesn't serve the people. The people serve the king. But what it's meaning is serve their interests well by ruling well and lighten up a little bit. In other words, Rehoboam, you need to have a little bit of humility here. A little bit of humility could have gone a long way in, in the reign of this king. Now, he disregards what the older men say and he comes to the younger men that had grown up side-by-side side with him the Bible says men that he young men that he has always known in his life and Guess what he says different language? What is it that you recommend that we do? regarding this matter What do you recommend that we do? Aligning himself with the wisdom of the younger man You know what? This is a picture of you know, it seems as though sometimes I'm picking on young people. If it sounds as that, if I am doing that, then I'm picking on me too because anybody that's ever been young falls into this category. You seek after the advice of someone that's older, that's wiser, that knows a whole lot more than you do. And that all begins, by the way, with your mother and your father. And your mother and your father in the home give you greater advice than anybody could in the world of all these young peers running around and in and out interacting in our lives. What do we do though? What we do sometimes is we disregard the good advice, we disregard the wisdom of our parents or the wisdom of older folks, and we seek after the wisdom of younger people. You know why? Because we know that younger people are going to tell us really what we want to hear. You know what these young men said? Now, the older said, Well, be humble. Serve the people well, lighten the burden. There's no reason to have it. Lighten the load, and they'll serve you. They'll follow you all the days of your life. Sounds like great advice, doesn't it? The younger man says, absolutely not. You lay it to them. You not only are not going to remove the burden, but you're going to increase it. And then you say to the people, if you think Solomon was bad, you haven't seen as they say in the common vernacular, you ain't seen nothing yet. You haven't seen a thing concerning how I'm going to be now. And then they recommend that he use this proverbial phrase. My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. You know what that means? That's a real fancy way of saying this. My father's strength is weaker than my weakness. And my weakness is greater than my father's strength. One more thing. You know what else they said? They said, you go to them and you say that my father my father, uh, chastised you with whips, but I'm going to chastise you with scorpions. Scholars are divided on whether this is literal or figurative. But a whip is a lash by definition. A scorpion is a knotted scourge. So whether or not this was literal or figurative, it really doesn't doesn't matter. The point being is this. When they came to request from Rehoboam that he lighten the load that Solomon placed on him, he says, no, in fact, I'm going to increase it. I'm going to lay it down on you, and I'm going to be worse than my father has ever been to you. Now, that looks like to me that that's the foolish thing to do. We look at this and we think, man, how in the world? All he had to do was listen to the older folks. I want you to notice, please, verse 15, wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, why? For the cause was from the Lord, that he might perform his saying which the Lord spake by Ahijah the Shilonite unto Jeroboam the son of Nebat. If that's not a picture, folks, of how God does deal in the affairs of man, if that is not a picture of how God does deal in the kingdoms of men, building up kingdoms and tearing them down, and I'll just go right out and say it, if that's not a perfect example of God dealing in the politics of the world, I don't know what is. God dealt with this man, he used his foolishness, he used his wickedness, he used the hardness of his heart to divide the kingdom. How do we know that? Because the other tribe says, basically, as I, as I paraphrase, forget you, I'm gone. Fine, who are you anyway? Who's David? Keep your little group over there. We're not following you. And they revolt. I'll tell you something, folks, I don't know how God does it. I don't know why he does it. I don't know the means that he uses. I don't know any of that. I just know this, that God is in control, and he has not left the kingdom of this world to just run all by themselves without his hand and his will being passed down. I'll tell you something. One time somebody said, I think God's a Republican. I heard one time somebody say, one time when a Democrat was elected president, that God can't have anything to do with politics because that president supports abortion. Why would God put into office a baby killer? And so therefore, deducing that God does not have any dealings in the affairs of man or in the politics of this world, that is not true. He used in this example the wicked heart of a king, and incidentally, All the kings that we're going to find in the northern kingdom, every single one of them was evil. All of them. Only some in the southern kingdom were good. And guess what? You want to get it all started off great? You want to talk about getting started off on the wrong foot by way of your wisdom and my wisdom? Notice here. Bad king, bad king. God used it to divide the kingdom. Well, you remember that there was a fellow that was going to pick up the tribute. He was going to pick up the tribute or the taxation from the northern kingdom. And he is sent by Rehoboam. And the Bible says they stone him to death. Rehoboam retreats. And when they retreat, they go back down into Jerusalem. And they get together thousands of men. And thousands of men are going to go. And they're going to go back and get those that have revolted away from Rehoboam the king. Notice what the Lord said. The word of the Lord, this is verse 23, the word of the Lord, speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and the remnant of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not go up. Don't do that. Don't fight against them. Your brethren, the children of Israel, return every man to his house for this Thing is from me. They hearkened therefore to the word of the Lord and returned and departed according to the word of the Lord. Now, the kingdom now is divided. Judah and Benjamin are the southern kingdom. Incidentally, I always learn by association, and maybe you have never had a problem trying to remember in your mind as time goes by when you're not thinking about this, and maybe you've had no problems trying to remember what was north and what was south. This is a silly thing, but this is how I remember I remember it. If you write the alphabet vertically, starting with A down here and Z, okay, I comes before J north south. It's an easy way that I remember it. The northern kingdom being the ten tribes, and the ten tribes immediately, as it seems, fall into apostasy and idol worship. Now, Jeroboam now has an opportunity. You remember, there was a conditional promise made to Jeroboam. It's the same conditional promise that was made to Solomon and the same one that was made to David. And incidentally, it's the same one that was made to Saul. When the people demanded a king and they rejected Samuel and they wanted a king, God knew all the things that he had done for his people. He knew all that. He says, but you want a king, you got him. And then he says... If you serve me and you do that which is right in mine eyes, he would have been with Saul too. But God departs from man when man departs from God. Example after example in the Bible are those that we find that stand alone without God by their side. And God never, ever, ever retreated from their side until they left God. And I'll tell you this too, folks. If you are living your life and you are wondering if you're being tossed to and fro, and you feel like you're lost without a rudder, just maybe it's not because you have—it's not because you have. Uh, just maybe it's because you have left the side of the Lord. God leaves us when we leave Him. Jeroboam has an, has a problem. He thinks, now wait a minute—if three times a year the people go back to Jerusalem. If they go back to the temple in Jerusalem three times a year and they go and they perform the sacrifices and so forth, we've got a problem. He worried about that. He thought that the people would revolt from him and that the people would go and start serving Rehoboam in Judah all over again. So what does he do? He's thinking, I've got to do something. So he puts together different altars and so forth and temples, one in in, uh, Bethel and one in Dan. Dan was to the northernest part, and Bethel was not very far away from Judah, toward the southern part, but it was not in Jerusalem. And then he makes calves golden calves. When the people question it, he says, oh wait, 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 Exodus 32. It's almost like the people forgot how that story ended. But he says, these were the gods that brought you out of Egypt. These were the gods that brought you out. And we know in Exodus 32, that had a very bad ending. You know, the people come to Aaron and they said, people said to Aaron, where's Moses? We don't even know where he is. We need gods before us. He says, bring the gold. Remember Aaron's reply to Moses, I don't know. You know how the people are, the naughtiness of their heart, the mischief of their heart. They brought me their gold, threw it in, out came a calf. Don't know what happens, their fault. Remember that? Okay, God was infuriated and so was Moses. God was mad here too. Idol worship began and secondly too, he sells them on the fact that convenience is also a reason to not have to go back to Jerusalem ever again. He doesn't care about them. All he cares about is that they don't leave his reign, and that's it. Well, you know, interestingly, up until this point in time, the tribe of Levi is not mentioned at all. But when this happens, there's going to be some that are not going to go along with what Rehoboam is doing. Notice, if you will, in 2 Chronicles chapter 11 and beginning in verse 13. And the priests and the Levites that were in all Israel resorted to him out of their coasts. For the Levites left their suburbs and their possession and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For For Jeroboam and his sons had cast them off from executing the priest's office under the Lord. And he ordained him priests for the high places, and for the and for devils, and for calves, which he had made. And after them, out of all the tribes of Israel, such as set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem, to sacrifice unto the Lord God of their fathers. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah, and made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, strong three years. And for three years they walked in the way of David and Solomon, also having a proper priesthood from the tribe of Levi. Levi now is separated from uh, the northern tribes. And because of that, because of that for three years, they served God in an acceptable fashion. Well, you remember that Jeroboam is now burning incense on the altars? Jeroboam is going out and he's seeking out any vagabond that would. Get anybody, it doesn't matter who you are. If you want to be a priest of the high place, you got it. I will appoint you to be that man. Of all the unwise things he possibly could have done. And I'll go through chapter 13 now very, very quickly. um, Most of you, if not all, have heard my sermon on the man of God, the nameless prophet. I'll just briefly touch on a couple high points as we breeze through chapter 13. There was a prophet from Judah. And uh, sometimes it's confusing to remember who is who when I talk about the man of God being from Judah and I talk about the old prophet uh, from from Bethel. So I'll just talk about the prophet from Bethel and I'm going to talk about the prophet from uh, Judah. The prophet from Judah is sent by God. He is the man of God and he has no name described in chapter 13. He is to go and prophesy against the altar. And that dead man's bones were going to be burned on the altar. It was a prediction that a man, when a man named Josiah, a good king by the way, uh, going forward, I think it's in the uh, 2 Kings chapter 23 I believe. We're going to find that that's exactly what happened in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, a good king, over the southern kingdom. He predicts a prediction that's going to happen 340 years later. He says, dead man's bones are going to be burned on thee. This man from Judah, this prophet of God, he speaks to the altar. He doesn't say anything to this man, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. says nothing. This man is burning incense on the altar with an outstretched hand, and with that hand, he is all of a sudden listening to what this man from Judah has to say. He's so infuriated, he takes the very same hand and he says, seize him and when he does, the Bible says his hand withers and it's so much so that it was extreme stiffness and he could not bring his arm back into himself. And all of a sudden, we've got the attention of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, don't we? He says this to the man from Judah. Entreat now the face of thy God and pray for me that my hand will be restored. He does. He gets his hand restored. Jeroboam says, Come back to my house. The man from Judah says, No. God says, Don't have any more dealings with all, any of you idolaters. Don't have anything further to do with you. Prophecy against the altar and get out. And when I leave, I got to leave in a different way that I came. So he takes off. Back in Bethel, there was a prophet. In Bethel, an old prophet, he finds out from his sons about all the things that happened. He gets on a donkey and he goes out and he finds him. Sees him under an oak. He said, are you the man from Judah? He said, yes, I am. He says, oh, this is great. He says, you're supposed to tell me all about it. He says, no. He says, God told me no. God said no. God says have no further dealings with any of you and leave a different way than you came. But this old prophet from Bethel, he says... An angel of the Lord came to me. See, I'm a prophet too. And an angel of the Lord came to me and said, the plans have changed. You're supposed to come back and tell me the whole thing. It's okay. Plans are changed. It was okay now for this man from Judah. He accepts what he said, but the Bible says that the man from Bethel lied. The old prophet lied. He goes back there. He is now at his house. He is eating and drinking. God is mad. An angel of the Lord speaks to the prophet, the old prophet from Bethel, and tells him, because he disobeyed me, he will not be buried in the sepulcher of his fathers. So you can just imagine this old prophet from Bethel, how he must feel in the sinking feeling in his heart puts him on a donkey, and off he goes. When he goes and when he's heading down the road, God produces a lion. A lion reaches up, pulls him off the back, kills him, and then drags his carcass out in the middle of the road. And picture this for all those that would pass by. You've got a man laying there in the middle of the road. You've got a donkey standing guard like this. You've got a lion over here standing guard like this. The donkey's not afraid of the lion, and the lion won't eat the carcass, and the lion won't go after the donkey. You think that's significant? I do. If God didn't have a hand in that, there's no way that's going to happen. See, word had to get back. Word had to get back to Bethel, and it does. When the old prophet from Bethel finds out, he says, oh, it's the man of God. He goes out and gets him. He puts him on his donkey. He brings him back. He buries him in his own grave. And verse 31 of chapter 13 through verse 34, and we've polished up chapter 13. And it came to pass, after he had buried him, that he spake to his son, saying, When I am dead, bury me in the sepulcher wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar at Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from the evil of his way and made the lowest of the people priests of the high places, whoever would... He consecrated him. He became one of, had become one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became sin under the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. Right after that, Jeroboam has a son, and his name is Abijah. And this son is very sick. But going back a couple chapters now, you remember Ahijah who had prophesied to Jeroboam and said, you're going to get, when he, when he, in our text we read, when he, he rented the, the garment, 12 pieces, said, take 10, you're getting 10. Well, this man's an old, old man now. Jeroboam's thinking about this Shilonite. And he says to his wife, he says, go and find this man, but disguise yourself. Don't tell him that you're my wife. Don't tell him that you're Jeroboam's wife. Disguise that you're someone else. And speak to him about our son. The Bible says that this man, this Shilonite, this prophet of God, he is waiting now for the woman to come to him, disguising herself as somebody else. And as he's waiting, the word of the Lord comes to him and says, incidentally, Jeroboam's wife is coming. She's going to try to disguise herself. you got some news to tell her about. So the Bible pictures an old man that's so old he's blind. He can't see. But he hears the footsteps of the woman. And he says, oh, thou wife of Jeroboam, why faintest thou that thou art another woman? I have some news to tell you. He says, because Jeroboam has done evil, I am going to bring evil upon the house of Jeroboam. God is not mocked. In verse 11 of chapter 14, Him that dieth of Jeroboam in the city shall the dogs eat, and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat, for the Lord hath spoken it. But notice verse 12. She went there to find out exactly what was going to happen with the child. Arise there thou for, get thee to thine own house, and when thy feet enter into the city, thy child shall die. Verse 14, moreover, the Lord shall raise him up a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam that day by what even now? In other words, the lineage of the kings are going to change. That's found in the next chapter, in chapter 15, beginning in verse 25, and Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned over Israel two years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin. And Baasha, the son of Ahijah, of the, of the house of Issachar conspired against him and Baasha smote him at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines for Nadab and all Israel laid siege to Gibbethon. even in the third year of Asa king of Judah did Baasha slay him and reigned in his stead I'll tell you something folks God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap it's as simple as that we look at these men and we think, you want to have a tiger by the tail, you want, you've got God on your side. You've got God helping you supernaturally, these kings. All you've got to do is serve him with all of your heart, and they don't. Verse 20. In oh, let's just go back to one other verse. Verse 17, And Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Terzah, to and when she came to the threshold of the door, the child died. Now the child is dead. Verse 20, And the days which Jeroboam reigned were two and twenty years, and he slept with his fathers, and Nadab his son reigned in his stead. That's going to take the place of Jeroboam now. Rehoboam, the next verse, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 40 and1 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which with the Lord chose out of the tribes of Israel. In conclusion, the scripture says some other things now about Judah. We've been talking about all Israel, and we're talking about Jeroboam making the people of Israel to sin what about in judah we've already noticed now when the tribe of levi goes back and is now aligned with judah they have a proper priesthood and they serve god the way david did and solomon did when those regimes as it were were scriptural in god's eyes and were right in god's eyes what else happened all of a sudden though in time things have changed verse 22 And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord and they provoked him the jealousy with their sins which they had committed above all of their hearts above all that their fathers had done They committed acts that were above all that their fathers had done two verses down There were Sodomites among them Some translations render this male prostitutes Look at the sin that was in the land They did according to the abomination of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. The Bible says that It came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And notice what happened. God used an enemy against what was his faithful people. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away all, and he took away all the shields of gold which Solomon had made. You know, we didn't make a very big point about the shields of gold. But when Solomon had $20 million worth of gold in that year, and incidentally, I didn't mean $20 million by today's standards. I meant $20 million back then. What I'm saying is $20 million today, did, if you're a f- football fan, you, you've been looking at this free agent market and so on, and players got signed. There's a player that got signed yesterday for $100 million, $41 million guaranteed, $32 million paid over the first year. Uh, 18 months of that contract. That is just insane. So when we say 20, oh, this is 20 million. But think of 20 million back then. I appreciate Daryl got a calculator out and tried to figure out what it would be today. I think he said it was 5 billion. That's how much gold that he brought unto himself. This was a wealthy man. That was in one year. He made these golden shields. When the enemies, when God allowed an enemy to come in and, and, and uh, bring back ruin to them, they were destroyed. You know what else they had? Then they had these bronze ones that were kind of chucked in the chamber there. When God brings you down, folks, he brings you down. All man had to do was follow him. Finally, in conclusion, two more verses, and I'm through. 29 and 30. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all of their days. And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried, and his father in the uh, with his father in the city of David, and his mother's name was Naamah the Ammonitess, and Abijam his son reigned in his stead. So that's what's next. Abijam is going to reign in the stead of his father that had died and on the other hand we're going to find that that Jeroboam's son Nadab will be the king, the next king in line on the northern kingdom. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information